It is an honor to be here with you guys today, and um, and it is a joy to be with you today. My name is John Mark McMillan. Um, I write songs, and I play a little bit of guitar, and I sing. I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. The things we make, the things we do that leave an imprint on the world is our witness, the evidence to our existence and the story we tell, the conversation we have with generations that follow us. They will know us by the things we create. People pass away, but our voices can continue in the things that we build, paint, write, etc. As you hear me speak now, you know there is a delay between my thinking and articulating these words, right? It's, I make a sound, and the airwaves push against each other until they get to your eardrum, and they push on your eardrum, and that's how you hear. And there is a delay between when I say it and when you hear it. So what if that delay were more like a whole second? Second. Checking, checking, checking. Is it, is it still you? Do you, do you still hear, hear me? What if that delay was like a whole second? What if that delay was like an hour or a year or a hundred years? I stood across from Bob Marley's handwritten lyrics to uh, turn your lights down low and I shed some tears. That kind of rhymed. I didn't mean that to. <laughs> it was like the man was actually speaking because he was. There was a delay, but I still heard him. He's dead now, but his voice is alive, and I still hear him. I recently had a new dream. I want to write an album of songs that would last a thousand years, and I am absolutely not capable of doing this, but I figure... If I try to write something and I fail by 900 years, it still lasts 100 years. I'm still speaking into the future. Uh, see, our work is not only reflective of the current season, but it's also prophetic, especially when we realize that. Our medium is not music, paint, photography, film, sculpture, culinary design, etc. Our medium is and always will be people. And you will always be a link on a chain. You take what comes to you, add what you have to give, and send it on its way. In a sense, there's only ever been one song. We each get our verse, and if it's good, we get to pass it on. Art isn't something that we extract from thin air, but a conversation we join. And to join this community, all you've got to do is create a piece that's good enough for at least one person to take it in. Assimilate it and likely forget it, but it becomes a small part of their own conversation and carries on in some form or another, being expressed in their life, the life they live, and the things they say, the things they make, and the things they project. The truth is, you don't have to even think about this or, or even know that it happens to engage in it, but it's really fun to talk about. Uh, I have a friend named Ray Hughes, and he said this, he said, if we change the way the church thinks about worship and music, we change the way humanity experiences God. And that sounds really spiritual to say, but it's actually true. 
It's actually true if you think about it. I think the best way to change something is to do it for ourselves, right? Show me, don't tell me. Talk is cheap and can be destructive. I hear way too much talk about how the church should be this, the church should do that. And too few examples. As St. Paul might say, there are many instructors and not enough mothers and fathers. Parents lead mostly by example. Instructors tell, fathers show. I hear too much talk about how bad worshiper Christian music is, but I don't see uh, so many of these same people accepting the challenge to do it differently, and fewer still with the authority that comes with kindness. That's why this situation is really encouraging. <laughs> I guess wherever you fall in the conversation, the best way to cultivate your world is to cultivate yourself. The first medium of any artist is themselves. Jesus would similarly say, take the wood out of your own eyes first. I don't think this was a one-time statement, but a consistent way of life, working on ourselves. Gandhi might say, be the art you wish to see in the world. I'm not an expert on theology, on art, on music, or songwriting. I'm an enthusiast in all of these areas with a little bit of experience and a lot of questions. I don't have a crafted three-part message for you today, but I do have some thoughts that I hope will enrich your journey as a creative, a human being, and a person of the Spirit. Is that all right? Oh, my notes. Sorry. I'm so tied to my notes. I wrote this little kind of essay a while back, a friend of mine's wedding. At the dawn of time, God the Father suspended our planet like a tiny blue jewel in the infinite abyss of space. In the context of unimaginable, cold, dark nothing, he crafted a world full of many beautiful somethings. He seemed to enjoy most everything he made. Every so often he would stop and comment to himself and say, that's good, that's good. But even in all the goodness that he was creating, he stopped and spoke to who we believe is the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son. And he said, now that we've made all these good things, let us make something like ourselves. And so for his crowning achievement, he would make something that looked like him, that represented him, that spoke of him and his own goodness. God took dirt and breathed into it and crafted mankind. As it says in Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then he said something very odd. After making all these things, he saw as good and crafting the very thing that would carry his own image, he stopped and said, something is not good. Something is not good. How could it be that the very thing that God made to be like himself would have anything about it that wasn't good. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Because at the very center of God, there's a core of desire and affection. And in his very, it is his very nature to love. <laughs> and his very nature is love itself. 
If you know that God is love, then it's easy to see that man could never be right on his own. Man would never look like God until he had someone to love. We will never be like God until we learn to love like God. How could we possibly do this alone? I believe this is the purpose for all good human relationship. When we love one another, we see God. We were fundamentally created to share our lives with one another. Creativity, art, music, in my opinion, has always been about people. Has always been about people. Whether consciously or subconsciously, when you create, you are pinging. You're sending out a ping, hoping another heart will ping back. Think about a wedding. I read this morning the average wedding cost over $26,000. Somebody's pinging me now. The United States is pinging me. <laughs> Must be a telemarketer. Why? Think about a wedding. The average wedding costs is over $26,000. Why do we need this kind of money to couple up? <laughs> think. If they're smart, they don't say it, but they think during the process. We could have a, a baller honeymoon for $26,000. Right? If you're smart, you won't say that. <laughs> so make your honeymoon less baller if that's your idea. <laughs> Why do we have to throw this kind of party? I don't think there's a big, um, I don't think there's a major mystery. So human beings must share the things that weigh heaviest upon their heart. A powerful love must be shared. We all do it differently, but all powerful feelings demand to be shared. And God demands praise in this way. God demands praise in this way. C.S. Lewis, uh, when he uh, became a believer, he, he had major issues with the, um, with the worship songs of the day and, and also of the Psalms, <laughs> you know. So he didn't like the old stuff or the new stuff. Um, for this issue, for this one issue that it seemed like God... You know, we don't like those people who demand a massive amount of affirmation. You know what I mean? People who demand that you treat them a certain way all the time or demand this respect. C.S. Lewis called it this, like, perpetual eulogy, you know? He's like, is God insecure that we've got to continually prop him up? Because that's what it sounded like to him. But then, he, but then he realized something that he had missed. But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought into check. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, Romeo praising Juliet, and vice versa. Readers, their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be the inner health made audible. I had not noticed either 
that just as men spontaneously praised whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are not doing what all men, excuse me, the psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praises of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as regards to the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. It's because we must share the things that weigh heaviest upon us. In this way, all good art is a kind of worship. The word worship comes from two words, meaning the vehicle and the worth. You have ships, a stewardship, a relationship. The ship is the way we speak of something that contains, the idea that contains something, right? I didn't go to college, so I don't know all the practical terms for that. But we, we have the worth-ship. It's the way we express the things that are valuable to us. And so all good art, all good expression, all good creativity is simply a reflection of what it is that you give value to. Which is scary when you run into super negative people who only talk about negative things all the time. It exposes you and to the things that are valuable to them. And that's scary and sad. Continuing with thoughts. The medium is the message. The medium is the message. The way you do something is what it means. The way you say something is what you are saying. Ladies, what if a man proposed to you through a text message? I've said that before and had women throw up. Well, like a, a Facebook message. Like, not like the post, like public, but like the one behind the scenes. I had a marriage request one time from India. A girl sent me a letter. But it's very, that's not to be funny, that was for real. But it's very special. Here's what I'm saying the medium is the message. <laughs> Ladies, if a man asks you to marry him through a text message, text him. Either a specific emoji or just the words no. <laughs> or both. Maybe the poop emoji and the no. Because the medium is the message and the way he <laughs> asks you is what he means. And if the, if the guy doesn't have what it takes to ask you with his own mouth, or you know what I'm saying. There could probably be some interesting, ironic way where it would be really sweet to propose with a text message. But in general, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, yes, you do. The medium is the message. I think in church we tend to overfocus on the technical meaning of things, words especially, rather than consider how what we do contextualizes our message. Art creates context. It doesn't tell us what to think the way propaganda or advertising do, but it tells us, more importantly, how to think. And I think this is 
infinitely more powerful, useful, beautiful, fun, and life-giving than trying to tell people what to think or to tell people what to believe. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, because the truth means very little without the way. I think the first real discipline of an artist is to be an observer, a fan, an enthusiast, a lover, a dreamer. How much time do you spend dreaming, loving things, observing things? An artist has to first learn how to see. I call this stocking the pond. There's a creative economy to you, and you can only draw from what you have in here or what you see, what you take in, the world around you, but you have to see it. In other words, turn off your phone, turn off your phone, turn off your phone, and turn off your phone. (laughs) This is a side note. I mean, I like the voice memo app as much as everyone does when I'm writing a song, but the phone often becomes a mediator between you and the world. The phone creates anxiety, which is the artist's greatest enemy. The phone tricks you into thinking that you've shared your life and can burn up creative slash relational energy that should be used on real life, real love, real work, and real people. I mean, my phone's on. I use a phone. Einstein says, creativity is the fruit of time wasted. You need to waste more time. You need to take walks, listen to music, see nature, watch people, go to the museum, eat a nice meal alone, see films alone, become a disciplined, professional time waster. I got one amen out of that. (laughs) Like I said, these are just thoughts, questions, ideas. Curating your influences. Dallas Willard is kind of my favorite theology guy, and he says this. He says that we all have teachers. We are all taught. Not just we were taught when we were young, but we're all constantly taught. And teachers are not just people. They're all types of things. You don't really get to choose whether or not you're going to be taught, but you do, if you're smart, get to choose who teaches you. Willard says that... um, Uh, When we're immature, our teachers choose us. School of hard knocks. The way you were raised. Right? The people you're around. But when we mature, we choose our teachers. When we mature, we choose our teachers. Picasso said, good artists borrow, great artists steal. We learn to speak by mimicking our parents. This is borrowing. And it's where we all start. To steal is to dig down into the motivations, history, and influences of our influences, their influences, and their influences. As I think sometimes the future, we find the future by digging into the past. There's a principle called the iceberg principle. You know what an iceberg is. It's a little bit above the water and a lot below the water. 
your favorite artists, the people you respect the most, what you see of them is what's above the water. The work they do and everything that's involved in their lives is everything below the water. To really understand and dig in and know what it's like to be them, you need to dig into that portion that's below the surface of the water. Right? As if you, you can take on your current influences in whatever field you're in, but the way to own that and develop your own voice is to dig into who they dug into and to who they dug into. Does that make sense? Find the thread in your favorites and trace it back. Choose your teacher. What books will you read? What music? What will you plan to observe? Who will you plan to listen to? What will you plan to visit? Where will you plan to go? It's one of my final thoughts here. You guys enjoying this? Okay. Too many people don't become good at something because they aren't willing to be bad at something. I had a pastor friend who used to say, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. So what's most important is that you show up. It's a famous artist named Chuck Close. He says, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us show up and go to work. Picasso said, inspiration exists, but it must find us working. Do you know the Beatles played 1,500 shows before they ever sold a record in the United States? How many of you are worship leaders? All right, a lot of you. It will take you 30 years to play 1,500 shows if you play 50 times a year. If you play 100 times a year, it'll take you 15 years, right? So they played a career's worth they had a career before they had a career. And we see people like that. We see our favorites. And you think uh, they were just given some sort of magic or something, you know? And the truth is, most of the people who are as influential, um, you know, people like the Beatles, they, they worked a long, 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 long time before you even ever saw them or knew they even existed. And there were things happening before you ever even knew they existed. 1,500 shows before they sold a record. Be a dreamer, but dream out loud and dream with your hands, dream with your feet. And by all means, fall in love with what you do. I have a good friend, um, he's, a, he's a pastor of a, of a pretty big church. He told me this the other day. He has some friends who don't like to preach anymore. I'm not gonna say his name, so. I don't want to make his. I don't want to get his friends mad at him. He had some friends who don't like to preach anymore. And he didn't understand that because he really likes to preach. He says it's not easy because he has to come up with a message every every week. But he said he's just never understood why preachers would preach who didn't like to preach because he said that the reward for being good at something you don't like is you get to do it more. <laughs> and I mean, I do all kind of things that I don't like, and we all have to do things that we don't like. But I kind of think at the end of the day, try to fall in love with what you do. And follow the leading of the Lord. God is not necessarily always into just telling you to do whatever makes you happy. But I think at the end of the day, he wants you to be happy. And a lot of times he leads you that way. I hate that I even have to say that. The reward 
for being good at something you don't like is you get to do it more. The reward for something you for doing something you don't like means you get to do it more. I'm kind of kind of close with a quote from a uh, author named Stephen Pressfield. I told Daniel like my message was not going to be mega spiritual, um, and that was going to be really practical. And I think that's good because there's a lot of really amazing spiritual stuff. Um, and I felt like my message was going to be a little too practical, but, um, but I think it, I think it fits just right. Um, did I not bring, yes, I did. Here's the quote from Stephen Pressfield. (laughs) And I, I love the spiritual. I love it. Everything that's happened today has been incredible. Um, and I just love how it feels. You guys like how it feels in this room? There's something really special. I could just sit over here all day and listen and look at you guys. But just the worship and the talking and all this, just been such a joy. Stephen Pressfield, he's the author of the book, The War of Art. Are you born a writer? Were you put on the earth to be a painter, a scientist, an apostle of peace? In the end, the question can only be answered by action. In the end, the question can only be answered by action. Do it or don't do it. It may help to think of it this way. If you were meant to cure cancer or write a symphony or crack cold fusion and you don't do it, you not only hurt yourself, even destroy yourself. You hurt your children. You hurt me. You hurt the planet. You shame the angels who watch over you, and you spite the Almighty who created you, and only you with your unique gifts for the sole purpose of nudging the human race one millimeter further along its path back to God. Creative work is not a selfish act or a bid for attention on the part of the actor. It's a gift to the world and every being on it. Don't cheat us of your contribution. Give us what you got. Thank you, guys.